Chapter Eight of the Riddle of the Purple Emperor. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Ruth Golding. The Riddle of the Purple Emperor by Mary E. Hanshu and Thomas W. Hanshu. Chapter Eight: Complications and Complexities. The Chain Court Affair, as it was to be called afterward in the days of its publicity had faded in Cleek's mind, but he was to be reminded of it very speedily. Within three weeks of that memorable drive through the moonlit lanes of Hampton, he entered the sacred precincts of Mr. Maverick Narkom's room, to find him in deep conversation with a fair-haired, slightly-built young man, in whom he immediately recognised no less a person than Sir Edgar Brenton himself. In a second of time, Cleek had altered his identity so suddenly and completely that thick-headed, dull-witted George Headland stood where a moment before Cleek had been. Mr. Narkom was quick enough to note the change and introduced him accordingly. There was an undercurrent of excitement visible in his tones that Cleek was constantly aware of. This is Mr. George Headland, Sir Edgar, one of our sharpest men. I don't mind telling you he'll soon get to the bottom of your little affair. He turned to Cleek and motioned with his hand in the young man's direction. This is Sir Edgar Brenton. He's come from Hampton, where there seems to be some mysterious goings-on at a place—what did you say its name was, Sir Edgar? Chain Court, Mr. Narkom, the Honourable Miss Marion Chain's place, and the home of my fiancée, Lady Margaret Chain. I tell you, he added excitedly, she is in danger, and I mean to rescue her from the clutches of that old harridan before another day is over. Mr. Narkom set the tips of his fingers together, and nodded blandly. So you shall, Sir Edgar, he assented as he turned to smooth some papers on his desk. Oh-ho! said Cleek to himself. So there is that element in the case, eh? Then he bowed to Sir Edgar. Perhaps you'll be good enough to tell me the facts, sir, he said, looking stolidly across the table. Sir Edgar restrained himself with evident effort. "'They are only too few, Mr. Headland,' he said irritably. "'Lady Margaret has just returned from a convent school in Paris. "'In fact, she came back just three weeks ago tomorrow. "'I met her more than a year ago, when my mother and I, "'we are neighbours, by the way, were staying in Paris, "'and we became engaged. "'I had no idea that Peggy, Lady Margaret, I mean, "'was to return to England till I heard through my servant.' for Miss Chain dislikes me intensely, and— Any reason for that, sir? queried Mr. Headland, with an air of bland politeness. Well, to a certain extent, yes, was the grudging reply. My father, I believe, was engaged to her at one time, but finding her temper intolerable, made his escape, and Miss Chain has hated my mother and myself in consequence. When she heard from Peggy that we had met and fallen in love with each other, 
she was furious and kept my dear girl almost imprisoned in that confounded convent it was impossible for us to hold any communication directly but when i heard she was expected back like an ass i rushed over to chain court to beg permission to meet her at the station this was refused indeed the old wretch went so far as to threaten me with a revolver and i believe she would have attacked me too had i not snatched it from her and beat a retreat and what time did you say that was put in cleek with ill-concealed interest an innocent remark enough but one sir edgar seemed to resent strongly what the devil's that to do with you i should like to know he demanded fiercely how dare you try to badger me with foolish questions as a matter of fact it was quite early in the day somewhere near lunch-time if you must know a little smile creased cleek's face but his tones were quite smooth as he said i see sir and you didn't go back again sir edgar flushed and frowned no i did not sir he retorted savagely i was at a dinner-party and i haven't come here to be cross-examined by a common policeman i want to know how i can get my fiancée out of that house here mr narkom flung himself into the breach has she come of age he asked quickly and thereby voiced the thought that was passing in cleek's own mind legally no and that is just the difficulty by lord cheyne's will she takes possession of her property on her eighteenth birthday though she can only marry with the consent of miss cheyne now yesterday was her birthday and by a sheer piece of good luck here in london i came across lady margaret herself and without miss cheyne when she told me that they had come up to fetch all the family jewels and to remove them to cheyne court you can imagine my feelings good heavens blurted out cleek involuntarily startled by this announcement do you mean to tell me two helpless women have risked burdening themselves with such priceless jewels down in a lonely place like chain court why every sneak thief in europe could attack it he broke off sharply for sir edgar was looking at him in a startled way that made cleek mentally kick himself having been momentarily thrown off his guard and betraying his own knowledge of the place in question surely someone could have prevented it he concluded weakly no that is just what they could not do responded sir edgar i saw the family lawyer but he told me that peggy has the right to do what she likes with her own fortune the only thing lord cheyne had to leave her but i certainly agree with mr sholcott that it was at that old harridan of an aunt's instigation what made him think that cleek asked sir edgar frowned mr sholcott couldn't define it he responded only he felt that if he had seen her alone he could have persuaded her to have left them or at least a bulk of them in safety especially the very valuable pendant not the purple emperor blurted out cleek once more he betrayed more knowledge than he had meant to in the beginning 
To his surprise, it seemed as if the young man's face became almost grey with fear. "'You know of that stone, Mr. Headland?' Cleek scratched his ear. "'Heard of it, sir? Lord bless you! We policemen have to pass a regular examination in all the famous jewels of history, and that stone is amongst them,' he lied glibly. "'And if there are thieves who know the Emperor is loose, so to speak, the quicker your young lady and it part company, the better for her, I say.' "'Yes, that's it. She is in danger. That's why I came to the yard. She shrieked out to me just as I broke the glass in the window.' "'And what's that?' rapped out Cleek. "'Broke the glass of the window, you say. Whose window, and why did you break it?' "'Because she was afraid, because she wanted me to run away with her and keep her safe from those devils in Chain Court.' Cleek's eyes shot a look of sympathy. "'Suppose you tell us all about it, Sir Edgar,' he said in a kindly tone. "'Then we'll be able to get to the bottom of it all the sooner.' "'I ran from one side of the house to the other,' Sir Edgar went on. "'But every door and window seemed to be bolted and barred. At last I smashed in the dining-room door with a spade I found outside and rushed through the house, but it was absolutely empty.' "'Empty?' chimed in Mr. Narkom excitedly, while Cleek sucked in his breath. "'Absolutely empty,' said Sir Edgar. "'As regards human beings, that is. I tell you, man, I went nearly mad with the horror of it, and the fear for my darling girl. There was not a sign, no trap-doors or panels, nothing, and I simply had to give up in the dark, and now I want your help.' "'By heaven they shall suffer if a hair of that angel's head is so much as touched. The devils! I don't care if Miss Chain is killed. She deserves it. But Peggy!' He broke down, turning his haggard face in his hands, and his shoulders shook spasmodically. A brief moment, and Sir Edgar pulled himself together with a jerk. "'Sorry!' he gulped apologetically. Made an ass of myself. But you can't think what a night I've spent. That's all right, sir, said Mr. Headland, but I don't think as there's anything to be done till me and my mates come down and have a peep at the place. That's about it, don't you think so, sir? He turned to Mr. Narkom, who, though puzzled by Cleek's strange aloofness, still knew his methods too well to do anything else but agree with him. "'Certainly, Headland,' he returned. "'We'll go down to Hampton as quickly as you like.' "'I think it would be best for the young gentleman to get back to Hampton first, and we'll come down and look round casual-like,' said Mr. George Headland in an off-hand manner. Ten chances to one, but what the young lady's tied up in one of the upper rooms, don't you know?' "'No, I never thought of that,' threw in Sir Edgar quickly. "'Yes, you're right. I will get back and leave it in your hands.' "'And you may safely do so,' said Mr. Narkom, shaking the young man's hand sympathetically as he took his departure. "'What do you think about it, Cleek?' 
he cried excitedly when the door had closed. Think. I think a good many things, my dear fellow, retorted that gentleman serenely. And one of them is, why didn't Sir Edgar break the dining-room door down at once before he made that fruitless rush around the house? He might have known that the doors would be locked at evening time. Oh, I never thought of that, said Mr. Narkom. Still, I don't see what that has to do with it. You are not insinuating that the man would harm his own sweetheart. Where is the incentive? The Purple Emperor might be, or its value, was the reply. Mind, I am not saying it is so, but I would like to know the young gentleman's financial status. Secondly, I would like to know why he has made no effort to see the girl this past fortnight since she has been back. Don't forget I met him that night when a murder was committed at Chain Court, for I still hold that that woman was dead when I found her in the ballroom. And the young gentleman's story about a revolver which he snatched away from her in the afternoon is all tommy rot. The weapon was lying by her side when I saw her, and I'll take my oath there was a revolver in his own pocket when I lurched up against him in the lane. No, my friend, there are one or two points about Sir Edgar Brenton's tale that I should like to see cleared up satisfactorily, and I think I'll betake myself down to the Hampton Arms, where you can join me. Speaking, he gave a little friendly nod to Mr. Narkom, writhed his features into their semblance of the stolid policeman once more, and strode from the room. Once outside the portals of Scotland Yard, Cleek looked keenly around at the casual people who invariably appear to haunt the precincts of the law. There was the usual street loafer and errand boy, but half concealed by an abutting arch there stood the figure of a man, evidently on the watch for someone. Cleek, with his usual caution, slouched past, then crossed, so as to get a better view. For a second Cleek paused, then, switching on his heel, turned and walked back, past the watcher once more, and into Scotland Yard. That the man outside was waiting for someone to come out was obvious, but for whom? Cleek gave vent to a little laugh. A dollar to a ducat, but whom he waits for is Lieutenant Deland, he said to himself, and he shall have his wish. He dashed lightly up the stairs again to Mr. Narkom's room, and locked the door behind him. You never mean to let him see you, said the superintendent blankly, when Cleek had related his story. That's just what I do mean. Give me time to make the change. That man saw Lieutenant Deland go in, and he shall see Lieutenant Deland come out. You can follow with the limousine, if you like. A minute later he sallied forth, and the little one-sided smile looped up his face as he saw the watcher detach himself from the shadowing wall and follow in his wake, unconscious, however, 
that he, too, was being shadowed in his turn by Mr. Narkom in the car. It was not until they emerged upon the open embankment that Cleek turned to see his pursuer. To his supreme astonishment, the man had disappeared. Cleek laughed to himself as he strode onward toward Mr. Narkom and the limousine which had slowed down some distance ahead. There was certainly something up, but what that something might be, he was not so sure. Mr. Narkom, he said, as he threw open the door of the car and climbed in beside the superintendent. The plot thickens. That man was the butler at Chain Court. End of chapter 8